Listening to the Lit and Lucid podcast brought to you by Steve's Goods and Yuhu Brand. Here's your host, Lucy and Jared. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording another episode of the show, but tonight we have a special new opportunity for all of our listeners. Um, We've been inundated with so many new potential guests for our show that we really couldn't fit everybody into a season. It was just, like, quite frankly, getting overwhelming. Um, So what we thought we would do is these new sesh episodes. Um, So we were able to bring on some, you know, educated consumers, Um, some thought leaders in the industry, as well as just some really good quality friends and connections that we've made along the way. People that we think have something really interesting to share with you guys. Um, So we thought we would throw in these sessions kind of as like bonus episodes to our season. Um, So today we have our very first sesh. This is with Asa Goldstein. He is a senior at Elon University in North Carolina. He's majoring in strategic communications and minoring in entrepreneurship. And I think by the time this episode airs, he will have graduated. Uh, So what's up, Asa? Hi, how's it going, guys? Thank you for being on the show. Uh, We met Asa probably about a year ago now uh, over Instagram. And he kind of reached out and said he was, you know, really interested in our show and has been listening to some episodes and Actually, at Elon University, his capstone seminar this year was on successful cannabis branding and meaningful differentiation. So he really dived into, I think, um, like seven or eight different questions uh, in regards to cannabis branding, spoke with a bunch of different companies all across the United States, did some polls, gathered some you know, research and data, and came up with some conclusions about cannabis branding. So we're going to learn more about what you learned in your capstone tonight. For sure. I'm excited to, to let you guys know. Cool. So let's just jump into it. You are in North Carolina, which I assume is probably not that cannabis friendly. So explain to us how you, you know, why you chose cannabis and kind of, you know, the climate around cannabis in North Carolina. Sure. Well, I'm on a college campus, so the climate around cannabis is quite different than it is elsewhere in the state. <laughs> but uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was probably in sixth grade and I was put on Adderall um, and I was on that till about a year ago but at some point early on in college I well I, I discovered cannabis in high school but I didn't start using it regularly until college uh, but I found that once I was using it more regularly it was improving my focus it was improving my creativity I felt much more able to um, just explore myself and ex- explore my education and it just enhanced my appreciation for for life and, and everything I was learning and opened up a lot of doors for me. So uh, over time, I just found it was such a, a great influence on my life and my health. Um, I ended up just dropping the Adderall because I found it, it really didn't help me that much. And now I just use cannabis. Nice. You and I have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. We did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Drop the Adderall, man, and had to move on. Yeah, it's not great. All for the better. Yeah. For a while, I was kind of balancing them out because the Adderall would give me zero appetite. And the cannabis give me appetite, but now I just eat as much as I want. <laughs> right, and, it, and it's such a profound thing. I remember back when 
when I made that switch and I made the journey into cannabis and I mean, a lot of people don't know that, but before cannabis, I was completely almost anti-cannabis. I hated cannabis. Like never wanted to try it, tried it in high school, never really cared about it, but it was more out of like necessity that I think I need to try this because Adderall was so terrible that it like pushed me into cannabis. And then I found out cannabis isn't so bad once it's in your body and you find, you know, the right amounts. It's like any drug, I guess, but, but still, well, that's you know, the problem I'm, too, is being in a legal state. I, you know, for the past few years, I haven't really had any control over what I consume or how much I'm getting or what the potency is or if it's pesticide-free or all these other variables. So I'm really excited to move somewhere there where I can have more control over that. Right. Sure, yeah. And that's something Lucy and I don't even think about enough. I think that we, we take it for granted here in Colorado that we're, uh, you know, just a couple miles away from legal access. And there's still millions of people who don't have the access. So I'm glad you still found a way to, to persevere and, and kind of... Yeah. the plant medicine route but once you move to a legal spa- uh, state it's going to be all over you're going to have so many options yeah I guess I've yet to step into my first dispensary but I'm very excited that's mind awesome blown. you're going to be mind blown yeah <laughs> I'm going to be mind blown that's what I've been told cool. well um, let's dive into your personal story a little bit I know I know you've got a background a little bit in cannabis clearly because you found it and I think now you're, you're doing some things that are a little bit more higher level than just smoking cannabis so I think It'd be great to find out, you know, how has how your personal story evolved from when you first found cannabis to, to now where you're at today? Uh, career-wise or just personally? Both. Both. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, your relationship with cannabis changes so much over time, I think, in certain ways, especially considering that I don't have really consistent strains or, or dosages. Um, but let's see, I guess it's hard to verbalize. I think that my music's changed a lot. My self-perception has changed a lot. My relationships have changed a lot in terms of just honesty and, and deeper connections. And I, I think I, it's less so that my relationship to cannabis has changed and the way it affects me has changed and more so that the way that, that it's – the reverberations of my use in my life have, have changed um, and just slowly, slowly changed uh, everything about my life really. Career-wise, uh, I always knew I wanted to go into some form of advertising or branding because um, that's just what I've always been good at. I've always been really fascinated by jingles and how they work neurologically because <laughs> some of you just can never get out of your head. <laughs> and uh, copywriting's always been really interesting to me as well as I just seeing wacky advertisements on TV. Uh, I'd always watch them and think, wow, you could do some great stuff for cannabis with this, <laughs> with this, with this creative opportunity. But then I started, you know, looking at, I started talking to family members and friends who were in the advertising age, uh, industry and they just seemed really done with it. They seemed like it was way too stressful. It seemed like it was, um, I, I never wanted, I, I talked to somebody who, I guess I probably shouldn't say which company, but they told me that they were 35 and their greatest claim to success was this really simple slogan that promoted processed meat. And I just thought, I'm gonna be 35 and that's my, that's my claim to fame. I will not be a happy guy. <laughs> I, knew that. I knew that I cared so much about cannabis and, and, and helping people with the same issues I have and, and uh, I mean, the myriad other issues it, it cures and helps. Um, and I knew that I, I wanted to use my talent towards something that wasn't promoting things that I didn't agree with. And I wanted to have some control over what I promoted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it makes so sense. I, I, started, so... I, I can go ahead. <laughs> When, so, I mean, when did you first discover cannabis? Was it clearly probably more of a personal thing, or did you kind of d- discover it from, like, a medicinal aspect first? Or when did it start becoming more of a, you know, like a thing in your life where you started paying attention to it? 
Uh, it's hard to say. I think in high school, I, I had a friend who introduced me to it. Uh, and that, I mean, that obviously when you're doing it with friends over the summer, you're having your first very intense, enlightening experiences. Yeah. And that back then I was doing it, you know, once a month or less. And once I was in college, it was so much more available and I had a vaporizer. And at that point, it just became more of a regular thing where I was using it for exercising. I mean, it really, it, it deeply changed. Once I was using it regularly, it was deeply changing my values. I became vegetarian and I started running. I just started noticing, although although I felt definitely more, I don't want to say anxious, hyper self-conscious. I think looking back, it was a really good thing that was happening because I, I realized like as soon as I would smoke or vaporize, I would just realize, wow, what don't I engaged in so many bad, unhealthy habits today, and tomorrow mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything different. <laughs> and then over time, it just it just kind of slowly changed into healthier habits and and deeper connections. Yeah, I like that you brought that up because I think a lot of people will attribute that to like the to like negativity or like paranoia or something that they're having like bad thoughts or they're like thinking like negatively about their days. And I don't think that's really the case at all. I think it's more positive because I used to have the same thing. I'd be sitting there at home smoking a joint, and I'm like. Jesus Christ, that thing I said earlier was super stupid or I should have yeah. said this differently or I should have done this today and not done that or, you know, I shouldn't have went and got fast food yesterday, you know, it's still eating on me today and a lot of that can be attributed to negative self-thinking but at the, at the same time, I think what it really is is it's self-awareness being built mm-hmm. into yourself and you start becoming aware of, of what you're doing and your habits and, and your triggers and all those different things that go along with, you know, your, your typical emotions throughout the day that you don't really, you know, you're not conscious of when you're doing it but when you take time to kind of sit back you smoke some cannabis or eat an edible or something it kind of brings up those paranoid thoughts i guess we could say but i think it's just your body saying you know hey let's let's look back and and figure yeah. out ways to be more aware of what's going on around us for sure i, I definitely think that a lot of people are scared away from cannabis because they don't they don't want to confront themselves in that way yeah it takes time to work through those things Absolutely. yeah for sure but I, but I like that, you know, you recognize that off the bat and you use it as like a positive to build yourself after that. You're like, why not? You know, why can't we do all these other things to enhance my life? Right. Which is pretty cool. I wish I would have found cannabis earlier in college. I would be much more self-aware, I think. Yeah. yeah. When did you find cannabis? Me? At the end of college, like a couple months before I graduated. Wow. Yeah. You could have made it much easier on yourself. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I was joking. That's, that's the thing too. Is it's not. I mean, it's partly hyper aware and critical of yourself, but at the same time, there's a very loving touch to it. It doesn't feel as though it's. It's like a harsh. It's like a harsh teacher, but it's like a loving teacher. Right. Yeah. You're and not like beating teacher. yourself up. You're like, dang it. Like you know, yeah. someone, it's like you think of yourself as like being cute or something. It's like this cute kid did like, yeah, three minutes ago, but it's like, damn, it's still like, myself. Dang, now we did it again. We did it again, man. Yeah. Which, which is awesome because if you think about you know the other drug that we use in college which is alcohol oh, it man. doesn't allow you to be self-aware it makes you completely unaware of anything like you don't reflect on your bad habits right, yeah. like you just go ahead and it's do like it again yeah. it's a complete opposite and you don't care you just like sure that bad decision was a great choice yeah i definitely that's definitely it's, it makes me sad because at my college it's a pretty Greek college, and a lot of people drink, you know, five, four or five nights a week, extreme amounts, or are using, you know, I don't want to say opiates, but like Xanax and other things. And I'm just thinking, wow, like, how do you even? I, I can barely handle my own alcohol. <laughs> like, right. I don't know how they're, you know, they're taking 
just crazy amounts of drugs at a time, and I just can't even process how they're doing it and still surviving and staying in college and waking up the next morning. But right. yeah, not good. Cannabis is the way. You damn college kids and be smoking more weed. I mean, how to promote it, and you have to be 21. 21 and up. 21 and up to smoke it. Let me just say that. I'm not going to promote drug usage, but if, we, if you had to choose, I think you should choose marijuana over alcohol. Yeah, me too. I would agree. 100%. 100%. <laughs> All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit from, you know, smoking weed and being a cool college kid to like the actual work of college and the research and the writing and the editing i remember my capstone paper and like you said your paper is 35 pages like i that that's a feat you know what i mean so kudos to you for getting to this point first of all because that's like an amazing you know feeling that you know from february or january until now like this project you've been working on you're finally done with it so kudos to you on that, but let's go through some things. What was the subject of your capstone? And then we'll go through kind of what you learned. Sure. So the subject of my capstone was I wanted to find out what are the essential qualities and common strategies of successful cannabis brands right now, not, not back then, but right now. So I reached out to several, I mean, met like probably dozens of people, but the four that I was able to get uh, for an interview were Jennifer Culpepper who I worked with when I was uh, an intern at Brand Joint. She's the creative director and owner of Brand Joint, uh, which is a cannabis agency in Maryland. Um, and I interned for her last summer as a copywriter. The second was Kira Reed, who is the founder of Marker Cannabis Branding, and the, she's also the founder of Women Entrepreneurs in Cannabis. Uh, I also spoke to Matthew Chase, who's the creative director at Cannabis Solutions. I also did an internship with them, and I'm doing some freelance work for him now. And uh, Cody Tesnow, who is the CEO and creative director over at uh, Composite Cannabis Agency in L.A. Nice. Where was the third person from? Uh, here, Reed. I think she moves around a lot. Cannabis? I honestly forget. No, the guy <laughs> uh, you no, were not... interning with. Oh, Matthew, Matthew Chase? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's currently in New York. He's on the East Coast, but Canaver Solutions is in California. California. Okay, so we have yeah. Maryland, California. Are those the two states kind of we're looking at? Yeah, mostly. Maryland, okay. California, New York. Okay, cool. So just so we know our perspective for the readers, we've got an East Coast and a West Coast perspective, which sometimes are very different. Yeah, which was very interesting because the people on the West Coast were really, they were asking for classier packaging and classier brands. The people on the East Coast were saying we need more creativity over here. It's also it's also medical. It's also clinical. That's what we say all the time. It's very much like pharmaceutical grade cannabis out there. And yeah, that's interesting. There's, the, there's a the lot market. of room to strike a balance. Yeah, but it's interesting the market the market on the East Coast is seeking that creativity. So at least they're kind of they're aware of the downfall. So I mean that's that's already like an interesting tidbit for our East Coast listeners out there. If you're a brand, maybe if you if you jump on the creative train on the East Coast, you might have an edge here. Early on. Oh, for sure. You will stand out a lot from what I understand. Yeah. You'll stand out a lot. Cool. We'll carry on. So, um, so, I mean, what was your big takeaway? I mean, so you spoke for these four other individuals there. I'm sure their opinions, I'm sure there were some things that intersected, but I would kind of guess everybody kind of had like a different vibe. I mean, how did you feel initially after, after talking to all four of these individuals? Was it kind of what you expected? What did you kind of learn? What was different? Well, I certainly found out that, that working in branding is much more it's a wild west right now. The whole industry is, but especially in branding, because a lot of the clients have really no concept of 
the costs and the, of, of their identity, even as a brand, before they come and get marketing help. Um, and I was also just struck by their passion. A lot of them talked a lot about the importance of plant medicine and uh, and their passion about cannabis itself, and not just none of them at all entered the industry in a cash grab move. Um, yeah. Which I know there's a lot of complaints about right now in the industry that people are going into it just for the economic thing. They don't care about the plant itself, but I didn't find that at all with the people I interviewed. They were all extremely passionate, and they were all extremely passionate about the opportunity to brand an entire industry. They felt that the stigma, obviously, the, we don't need to discuss the stigma. Anybody who's listening to the podcast knows about propaganda and the stigma, but the importance of not feeding into that stigma and about shaping brands to to change the way cannabis is seen around the world um, as, a, as a tool for healing. I think that's cool because, because yeah, I do think a lot of the of the bigger brands get a lot of beef nowadays because of the you know the black market push and and kind of the grassroots push. They see some of these bigger brands that have been able to organize as being there for like a cash grab and being there to you know to opportunize on on capitalism. And I think what we found early on is that's really not the case. There's a lot of really good individuals out here who have a cause that's even other than cannabis. Possibly they want to help people with a, a specific subgroup of of a of a crew that needs you know some medical assistance or or they're pushing because of like the social injustices you know such as uh you know different demographics being hit by uh cannabis legalization more than others and everybody's got a story i think that they they build off of when they built their brand and i think that's what's the really unique part of all these cannabis company com- companies is that they're all different every single story is different everybody's why is unique yeah for sure and that why is so important when it comes to branding but a lot of the companies don't realize that when they go into the branding process is how, is how important their story is and how important their mission is to them. Yeah, I, I know Jared and I have been reading a book and it, it really focuses on that. Like when you're building a company, the first thing you need to do is write down your mission and your visions and kind of, you know, what your expectation is for a customer and really just have all that information outlined for the next step. And I think that that is kind of like the foundation of businesses should be built on to then move forward. And then it's going to lead to more customer loyalty because they are authentic. They are thought out and they have created, you know, this bigger image besides, you know, just the company and the brand. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, and I think especially getting the brand built, I think there's so much that goes into it that you're not going to think about down the road and you have to do that up front, I think. And I think, you know, for one, if you're going to spend a ton of money on building your brand, it's very costly. Um, and so you want to have all that thought put in from the start. And then you, two, you want your brand to be cohesive from all aspects, from your copywriting to your logo, to your color scheme, to the companies that you're seeking, to your market strategy, to your products. I mean, there's a lot of different things that your brand is a part of. And so it's good to sit down ahead of time and kind of think through that and build a foundation for your brand and for your company. And that way, if you have a firm foundation and a firm brand, it's easy to, you know, build new products or go into a new vertical because you're established and you have core values established. And there's a lot of different avenues and a lot more things open to you. Absolutely. And I think you also touched on before we got on the call about community engagement. Do you want to explain what that would look like? For sure. So I guess we can kind of start with, we haven't really covered this yet, but my main results from the study um, that I concluded out of all the questions I asked was that for a successful cannabis brand right now, you need a really good authenticity, a really transparent mission. Uh, and that transparency also extends to testing your products and having 
that trust between you and customers, uh, making sure that customers know what they're getting, and they feel that what you are providing and the packaging and everything, everything surrounding the way you interact with customers, your storefront, everything needs to be aligned with your mission. And uh, that creates a, a much stronger relationship with the customers. Um, so the most important things that we found, or I found, was that you need a fully formed identity. Otherwise, you have nothing to base your uh, your marketing off of. All four participants reported that pe- that companies and people are coming to them all the time with zero idea of who they want to be, and then just saying, "Make me a brand," and that's no place to start, um, especially if you want one of the other things that turned out to be the most uh, impactful pieces of a successful brand, which is effective design and consistent design, um, which all are part of authenticity as well. Uh, having a, a fully formed identity means that no matter where you go, people are running into the same company, the same ideals, the same ideas, the same mission, and it's clearly very, it's very clearly expressed. Um, and again, like you mentioned, community engagement was reported as the, like, the single most important thing uh, that you can have as a brand right now, both online and offline. The issues with online community engagement is that your social media page, as Jennifer Culpepper mentioned, is that social media pages can be taken down on a whim and you can be building a brand forever and have a great social media page and then whoop, it's gone because it's against regulations. So using other uh, online tools like Ooze Lifestyles and Tokativity and magazines, which are making a comeback like Sensi Magazine and Dope Magazine. Um, while the rest of the print industry dies, I worked in a magazine a couple of years ago. It's dying. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of bones <laughs> already. Um, but it's making a comeback in cannabis because it's one of the only platforms left. Uh, so, and on the other end of that, building offline communities, holding uh, educational events, holding community events, finding ways to involve the very direct local community, not only in demographic, but in psychographic terms, uh, making sure that the community feels directly involved. Uh, and that they feel appreciated and that they feel that they're your go-to brand. Yeah, and we, you know we've kind of touched on that in some other past episodes, the importance of CSR. Uh, so our listeners have learned more about you know the importance of community engagement, getting involved you know with local food banks and things like that to donate your time. So that's very important for companies, especially cannabis companies right now, um, especially here in Denver. We were talking about it. You know, there's so many dispensaries; they're kind of a dime a dozen. So what are you going to do to stand out amongst the crowd? You have to be offering something else to your customers. Customers, and that's one way some companies here in Denver have been doing that. But then I also really like that you called like social media community engagement, online community engagement. I, I've really never even thought of it like that, honestly. Like we talk about the importance of it, but it just clicked to me now. Like when you said that, like yes, that's your online community, so you have to have both, and they have the same principles behind them. So that was yeah, they cool. They connect the same people. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and then I think it's good to connect with your local community too, which would be you know your physical community, because I do think there's a lot of, you know, it's very much a community issue. This is why cannabis isn't legal in all 50 states yet, because it's still very much a community issue. Individual states have to vote on it, and still individual communities have a say on whether to allow dispensaries or not. And so I think in, engaging in your local community has a massive impact as well. And if you can find ways to engage your local community and provide benefits other than just cannabis to your local community, that's where you're seeing companies expand and kind of grow as well. 
And I think also, a lot of it is listening to your community. You do like you listen to your customers, listen to your community, find out their needs and find out how your business can fit within that need and still provide a service to your end consumer. In addition to that, I think that um, the environmental impacts of the packaging right now, there's so much waste in the cannabis industry and showing that you care about the environments is so, I mean, it's, it's, it strikes a really strong chord with customers, especially considering the current, I mean, state of events <laughs> with climate. Um, I'm personally very passionate about the environment. I'm an eco rep on my college campus, um, and seeing the amount, the sheer amount of plastic I see on, on cannabis packaging is really, really astounding. In that it's just so, yeah, you need to pull it apart with five different tools. That's what I heard that from every participant is that the packaging is so you got to really get in there. Yeah. <laughs> there's so there's so much plastic and wiring and all these other things. Cannabis companies that want to stand out should really consider the environment as part of their their corporate social responsibility. Uh, is one of their foremost concerns, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, too. And then, you know, still, I, you know, there might be some regulators listening to the show. I don't know. But I think as individuals, we, we are kind of responsible for, you know, regulations at the end of the day, either through lobby efforts or who we elect. And I do think that's one thing that needs to be um, addressed in future states and, in, and with national legalization as packaging requirements. Like in Colorado, they just now changed them in 2019 to do away with the exit container. The exit container was basically just a useless piece of trash you had in addition to your, you know, your product packaging, which we're, you know, we're beefing about product packaging, but before that in Colorado, you had this extra piece of, in some cases, plastics or bags or something that you're going out the door with just to conceal your products until you made it to your car or made it to your home, which is excess. And they just now changed that in Colorado and changed the packaging rules to lessen the amount of packaging that is required for product, which I think was a nice step, but that came from regulators as well, not just individuals or individual companies. So I think it's important to kind of put the pressure back on regulations and and be cognizant of that, you know, as we as we move forward and kind of bring up the other, you know, twenty or thirty states. And something, you know, if other branders or packages are listening, I think that's something to keep in mind too. When you're building the packaging and you're establishing a brand, maybe try to push the client into a direction whether it's a single-use plastic or it's not a single-use plastic. You're using either a biodegradable plastic or a recyclable one or a reusable plastic or you do away with you know additional containers or having a marketing layer and then the product inside that packaging maybe just go to like a single container for the product and the marketing um, you know there's a number of ways for the marketers and the designers to cut down and, and kind of contribute to uh, the packaging crisis all right so let's switch gears a little bit what is some common mistakes that brands are making in the cannabis industry so this is what this is one of my research questions. Um, so a, a few common themes cropped up. The first one was that was derivative branding. If your brand is not original or authentic, you're just going to blend in with the crowd. Uh, another issue with that is that uh, any major innovation or any innovative product that comes out, there's going to be imitators right away. Um, every participant said that, and so having something that can't be imitated, having something that only your company can provide. Uh, it's really important. So spending some time, first of all, of course, thinking about your vision and your mission, but also finding ways that you can execute that vision and mission in, in a way that only you can, in a way that only your company can, in a way that you'll stand out from everyone else. Uh, furthermore, was uh, another aspect was clients who lacked financing. And we talked about this before, but a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs are coming into this having no idea how much branding, packaging, and advertising costs. It's, a, it's an expensive process. Um, Cody Tesnow, who's the from 
from Composite Agency in LA or Venice Beach said that you shouldn't come into the industry unless you have 500K ready for marketing and branding, which is a pretty high estimate, but I'm not even sure it is that high anymore, right. <laughs> especially considering if you, if you really want to stand out, you got to spend some money now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to make sure your product's good enough for that money to be invested in, because this isn't just a, you know, a throwaway business for some quick money. This is if you're if you're ready to invest in this, there's a lot of money to be made, but you need to be ready to invest. Um, also, creativity, lack of creativity, uh, was found to be uh, a major downfall. Of course, I'm sure everybody's tired of the of the Rastafarian branding. Comes across as disingenuous, um, which is funny. That part of my so for my research paper, I had to do a 15 page literature review, and one of one of the uh, papers that I read, one of the journal articles I read, discussed how this is a little bit tough to explain, but essentially the idea is when co- when companies try to appeal to countercultural movements, when a corporation tries to take advantage of a countercultural movement, it just it, it ruins the countercultural movement. It makes it feel like it's totally uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It just seems it seems like a fraud. It seems phony. Mm-hmm. Um, so for big corporations to be marketing Rasta stuff and be saying, hey we're on we're on the side of cannabis now, hey we're on the other team now, it comes across as inauthentic mm-hmm. um, so making sure that your your brand is both authentic and you can stand behind your message with a history of your of your support is very important um, and also just lack of market research uh, although all the participants said that it's impossible to have good research now because the industry is such a wild west and nobody can really make future predictions which is such a huge part of, of marketing uh, understanding the community you're marketing to and, and the holes in the market is so important. And also uh, prioritizing your, the customer's needs and desires, the target market's needs and desires over your own. Every participant said they've had clients who, well, well, they've done the work for the client and they say, here's what colors we think you should use, here's the name we think you should have. They've already gone through all the trademarking and everything else. And they talk to the customer and the customer says, mm, I don't like that color. Mm-hmm. Or I don't like that name. I have this name, and again, it's not about what you want. It's about what the customers want. So, so companies often make the mistake of thinking that they're their target audience, but they're not. So those those I would say are the common mistakes that that are made in the branding process. Yeah, I think we've seen a number of those already <laughs> yeah. early on in our, in our dealings. So true. So, and I I think that's a lot to take on for companies too that. I think they have to understand that, you know, you're not alone, that there's companies and there's folks and there's, there's plenty of, you know, literature and things you can find online to, uh, to help guide you in the process of branding and, and, uh, definitely dig into it as much as you can. And I'm, I'll be posting this, this report is my, uh, paper's going into review for the uh, international review board because I had human subjects, but hopefully it'll get published. And if it doesn't, uh, I'll be doing it as a blog or something. So hopefully you know, the 15 pages I wrote on branding theory and how it relates to cannabis will be a value to people who listen. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, it, and it's great that you're doing this research and, you know, writing papers on this now because there really isn't that many people, you know, diving into this, you know, even at the college level. I mean, how many people are allowed to have a capstone paper on cannabis branding? Not very many. I have a really chill teacher. <laughs> right. A small she's amount of people. cannabis in the past, so she's really chill about it. Yeah, well, right. And so, you know, you're lucky to live, you know, and go to a university that supports that. 
but really there's not that much information out there and valuable resources for people. It's, you know, just other marketing agencies offering that kind of guidance, you know, through blog posts and things like that. So it's encouraging that students are also, you know, taking this seriously and making it a matter for research. Sure. And I would love to mention something I found. So in my, in my search for a solid, I had to have a, a theory to base my paper on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really tough to find actually a solid branding theory. There's plenty of communications theories. None of them seemed to quite fit. And what I kept running into was tourism branding theories, place branding. How do you brand a place? And for a while, I, I couldn't make the connection. I was thinking, you know, I was, I was pouring over this for hours at a time, just going, how, how am I going to find the right theory for this? And then, of course, I used some cannabis and thought, wait a minute. It doesn't need to be a physical place, right? You can, you can travel in the mind as well uh, in terms of perceptual traveling mm-hmm. yeah so um and there's I, I realized that there's cannabis companies already doing that um and i was kind of i was trying to think how, how do you brand the twilight zone almost how do you how do you brand cannabis as though it's a place because really when you buy it you're not i mean connoisseurs might be buying it for the taste or the look or the feel but they're buying it for the experience you give them right it's mm-hmm. both, it's a transportive experience and i'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with the uh find your beach corona extra campaign um, and that's the same idea, right? If you're using the product, you're not using it because you like the way the beer tastes. I mean, you might be, but you're using it for the way it's going to make you feel and where it's going to make you feel like you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's actually already a cannabis company employing this technique. It's called Rome Escapes. And it's the same concept, right? They have NYC Buzz and Paris Nights and Bali something, Bali, Bali Bliss. So they're, they're capitalizing on that idea. And I think there's a lot, of, I think there's a ton of uh, opportunity for that. Branding, branding your cannabis as this is an experience that only we can give you and, and using your brand to shape customer experiences because although individual experiences can vary so much uh, for example you can go to you can go to Italy they can brand Italy as a certain experience some people are going to go to Italy and have the time of their lives and other people are going to go there and get mugs right yeah. <laughs> but Italy's brand isn't going to change Italy's <laughs> brand needs to be consistent so the same, there's the same idea is that when you have a cannabis brand with something that has such a volatile, it's not a volatile experience, but you know, you could have any individual experience, but having a brand that encapsulates that experience and is a, is a safe base uh, and a strong identity so that customers can come back to you even if they have a disagreeable experience, uh, I think is really important. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And the reason you want that experience is because at the end of the day, what makes you memorable is the experience it's the emotions that you you know arise and create and store within your consumer so create excitement create joy create panic i don't know (laughs) there's definitely some cannabis companies that might do that you never know (laughs) (laughs) to each their own though they'll make it memorable yeah for sure i think it's a really i think it's a really novel idea and i'm glad there's some some companies working on it but I think that you could really go anywhere with it, right? I mean, making it a making it a tourist destination is one thing, but I mean, you can you can travel anywhere in the land of imagination. <laughs> so right. providing those experiences and and especially with a with a plant that's known to produce such immersive, psychoactive experience, there's so much room to to shape customer experience. There really is too, and I think as the market expands and there's more products available, I think it's going to be important for brands to 
to kind of guide and nurture the consumer experience to what the consumers are trying to, to get out of it. So and I think branding is 100% going to be at the forefront of that conversation and, and kind of, uh, and kind of what drives consumers as this becomes more of a consumer product. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we, uh, we enjoyed having you on Asa and we enjoyed learning about your, your research report and, and all the effort and kind of time you put in. I think there's some valuable tidbits there for listeners and, and I, you know, we look forward to, to seeing the full report online at some point, hopefully in a blog format or, or something where we can see it all. Um, and we look forward to, to watching you grow personally and professionally and, and kind of take root in this industry. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And, and to any listeners who are looking for a full-time or part-time or freelance employee, feel free to contact me at acgoldstein.com. I'm looking for work. I'm looking for some, I got to move someplace legal and get to work this summer, so... Please let me know. Uh, I think I can be an asset. Well, I think you will probably have ample opportunity if you just look in the right places. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, Ace has been great. He also is an artist. I think he writes his own songs as well and plays locally in North Carolina. Uh, so I think he, are you on Spotify? I am. I actually have a song about my relationship to cannabis there we go. called Strawberry Blue. Strawberry Blue. Uh, yep. It's on a, it's on a, uh, Spotify under Asa Wake, A-S-A Wake. Cool. Yeah, so listeners, check that out as well. He's a great musician and writer. Um, look at his website and his Instagram and stay up to date on all the things he is doing as an ins- aspiring cannabis employee, hopefully in a legal state yeah. here soon. Uh, well, thank you, Asa. We appreciate it and you sharing your knowledge with us and being our first guest for our sesh uh, sessions. So hopefully everybody likes those as well. The seshes. The seshes. <laughs> we will have plenty more seshes to come. And I think, <laughs> I think something we're gonna incorporate, and this is still early, so it's obviously gonna be shaped by all of our listeners. And that is exactly what I was gonna talk about is that I think we're gonna do some cool things and really incorporate listeners' wants, needs, and desires into the show. Uh, so we'll be putting some feelers out there over the next couple of weeks, couple of months years who knows how long this thing will go on uh to find out more what you know our listeners want to hear and we're going to do our best to find the people that can give you the answers and give you a nice perspective on on the different topics and trends that uh, you so desire to hear about so so hold us to it send us an email litlucidpodcast at gmail.com check out our website www.litlucidpodcast.com or to make it easy just www.litlucid.com Check it out, shout us out, subscribe, tell your friends, whatever you got to do. But we're still here (laughs) to share the knowledge. Cool. All right, you guys. With that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. We have known Steve for over a year now and find his products to be one of the most reputable sources of CBD and other cannabis products on the market. With so many imitation oils being sold online, it's important to source products from companies you trust. Steve's Goods is that company. Steve's Goods is an award-winning Colorado-based CBD company offering organic and locally sourced products at unbeatable prices. Visit www.stevesgoods.com and enter promo code LIT and LUCID for 10% off your next order. Go check them out. This episode of the Lit and Lucid podcast is produced in partnership with YooHoo Brand. YooHoo Brand is an industry-leading digital marketing and business development agency in Denver, Colorado. 
Yuhu Brand specializes in social media management, website development, influencer marketing, and content creation, along with a host of supporting services to complement your marketing strategy. Yuhu Brand, building businesses the right way. If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at hello at or reach out to Jared and Lucy directly on the show.